Hello and welcome to the CMOP Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service in various specialties. Today we are fortunate to have Dr. Fry with us for a resident special. Dr. Fry is currently a PGY2 emergency medicine resident at Naval Medical Center San Diego. He initially completed a civilian internship at Health Olympia Field in Chicago prior to becoming a flight surgeon. He was stationed at MCAS Miramar in San Diego. Today we'll be discussing his life as an EM resident as well as his time as a flight surgeon. How are you doing today, Dr. Fry? Hey, doing well. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. To start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm from New Mexico originally, from Roswell, which is a small town in New Mexico. I did undergrad in New Mexico State before attending Midwestern University in Glendale, Arizona for medical school and kind of had a long kind of journey to get here to uh, the Naval Medical Center in San Diego where I'm doing EM residency right now. Awesome. Thank you so much. Why did you choose the Navy? So I chose the... Uh, all the men in my family had been in a uh, branch of the military, um, and I thought uh, after I got accepted into medical school, I was going to be one of the first in my family not to join the military. And then I discovered the HPSP scholarship, which allowed me to obviously continue to serve and continue the tradition in my family. I chose the Navy because my grandfather, who was a chief, I really looked up to and admired him. And then also my dad, who was in the Army, just told me to do the Navy because it has the best bases. That's very true. That's actually one of the reasons why I chose the Navy also. I wanted to be by the ocean. So what led you to pursue your specialty and what do you enjoy about it? I love emergency medicine for uh, a myriad of different reasons. I love just the diversity of cases that uh, present every day. You never know what's going to walk through the door next, whether it be something that's high acuity or just something that's been ongoing for a while that somebody's just looking for help. A lot of times people come into you um, in the emergency room on the worst day of their life. So being able to kind of have that knowledge and that um, compassion to be there for them is something that really drew me to emergency medicine. Did you know that you wanted to go into emergency medicine in medical school, like in the first couple of years? I kind of had an inkling. I did. I uh, worked as a scribe when I was in undergrad and I knew I liked it, but I tried to stay open to it because just you never know what's going to pop and what uh, experiences you're going to have along the way. That may make you change your mind. So I tried to stay open as much as I could in the first couple of years of medical school. But even doing emergency medicine in my kind of clinical rotations, I just knew that that's where I wanted to be. What advice do you have for students prior to their audition rotations? And what characteristics do you look for in medical students when they're rotating for their sub eyes? So for students prior to audition rotations, I would say, you know, in terms of the coursework, just you know, work hard, study hard, find out what you're passionate about. And then as you get closer to audition rotations, just make sure that you're being a professional in communication, especially when you're trying to arrange all the audition rotations. And then the characteristics I look for in medical students that are doing their sub-eyes, especially in the emergency room, are a couple. One is it's all about fit. It's about kind of interacting with the, the students and who you'd want to be working with at three o'clock in the morning, whenever you're tired and there's a lot going on or not a lot going on, who do you want to be sitting next to on a, on a long shift? That's a grind. 
And so kind of finding that fit um, with students with the program is something that we're always looking for. And then something I always kind of keep an eye out for is medical students that really take ownership of their patients. The medical education process is a long, arduous one, and there's a lot of different relationships and dynamics that come up between med students and like residents, med students and the staff, med students and ancillary services. But really, I think it always comes down to, you know, you're a future doctor and they're your future patients. So I always find it most important to kind of see who really takes ownership of their patients and who's really advocating for that person in the bed that they're taking care of. Dr. Pai, you mentioned that there's different relationships between med students and residents and the attendings, et cetera. Can you discuss that a little bit more like what you've seen during your time thus far? Every attendee kind of has a different a teaching style. Their job is to keep everything running, but still to be kind of a guiding voice in running the department. Residents are obviously still positioned in training, and there's a lot of tasks on them to also kind of be developing their own skills, but also be educating students at the same time. I think as residents, there's a little bit more uh, a kind of commonality with medical students because you're closer to your medical school training. You're closer to where they are hoping to get. You're kind of going through the, the grind and being a kind of a resource. So there's a little bit of a just a different dynamic in terms of being more paternalistic as attendings tend to be versus kind of being a, kind of a, a more collegial colleague as a junior learner and a resident in the department. How much say do residents have in um, determining where students will end up matching? There's a little bit of input that happens from the, the residents. At the end of the day, it's, it, it goes both ways in terms of fit. At our program, we try to select the patients that I think would fit best with our program. Not everywhere Mexicans rotate at, they'll be the best fit. And we try to accommodate that as best we can. That said, if somebody's a really great worker, you know, it never hurts to have more positive input in. If somebody is, you know, kind of has some red flags, then that's something that gets brought up. Ultimately, it probably has minor feedback in the grand scheme of things, but I think a really good evaluation or a really bad evaluation can really help and hurt an applicant. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for that insight um, into the match process, Dr. Fry. Going back a little bit to your audition rotations, where did you uh, complete your audition rotations? And can you tell us about your residency's journey thus far? Yeah, so my journey is, uh, has kind of had a lot of road bumps and a lot of curves along the way. My initial audition rotation was actually here at uh, the Naval Medical Center San Diego in emergency medicine in July. I wasn't as super hot on the rotation as I am now. It was a, a probably a wrong time of year, unfortunately, but it is the only time of year I could get in to come and do my audition rotation. There's a lot of junior learners in the department at that time. There's a lot of turnover that also happens at that time of year. So I knew after that rotation, I probably wanted to try a deferment because I just wasn't as hot on Balboa as I thought I'd be. And I was kind of concerned about doing a GMO tour. So I did uh, another audition rotation at a program in Texas and then did a final audition rotation in Portsmouth at the Naval Medical Center out there after the fiscal year and after my choices had to be due for the rank list. So I 
probably would have ranked them differently if I had been there before. But eventually what I did was I put a deferment in as my number one choice. And then I pursued that through the match. And unfortunately for me, part of my kind of residency path, I got a deferment from the Navy, but then I failed to match that year. This was like one of the first years in I think like nine years that they completely filled all the spots. So from there, I remember kind of vividly, you know, I'm, I'm honestly crushed. I didn't match. I did get this like awesome deferment from the Navy. So I had this super opportunity to kind of go out into the civilian world and, and kind of go do a, a kind of a different thing that I thought would fit me a little bit better. And, you know, I fell. And so I remember talking to a gentleman, uh, I can't even remember who it was, with the, the Navy who was just like, you just got to find a spot. So I ended up calling around, doing the, uh, the soap and scramble, and ended up finding a uh, transitional year internship in Chicago that I completed my internship in for a year. And then from there, I went to the flight surgery program and did a flight surgery tour for coming back and Applying again to emergency medicine and getting selected here at Balboa. And then when you got selected at Balboa, did you have to do your PGY1 again or were you able to slot into a PGY2 spot? Yeah, so I applied again with the thinking and kind of understanding that I was only going to have to repeat maybe about half of my PGY1 again. But unfortunately, the American Board of Emergency Medicine refused to acknowledge my transition year because I was a, a DO and I did it at a DO residency. And so they didn't give me any credit for that internship. So I ended up having to repeat my entire internship again. Did you end up just doing like a lot of emergency medicine rotations during that intern year? Yeah, I did. I was lucky enough to have some good mentors, some good people around me who Kind of really encouraged me to to keep at it. Obviously, I was devastated and, and you know felt really you know like a failure. Um, I knew I wanted to do emergency medicine. I really liked it. I thought I was pretty good at it, and I obviously didn't match. Who knows what would have happened? What would I've done or gone in a different direction? But the Navy basically said that I needed to do a one year internship, and no matter what, to get my license so I can come to the fleet to be a GMO, and I. Talked to a couple of people after I failed to match, just trying to figure out what happened and what was going on. And nobody else could kind of figure out. They kind of gave me just the advice to keep at it. If this is something I was really passionate about, that there's still other ways uh, about it. That is one of the nice parts about the Navy is you do get to reapply after your internship year to see if you keep going or go out to the, to the fleet. There's kind of some breaks that the Navy system has that doesn't quite uh, occur in the civilian world. And so... During my internship year, doing transition year, I think we were required to do two blocks of EM. And I remember I had an elective and also did a block there. And feedback I got just rotating through those different departments was that, you know, yeah, like if you want it, you can still get it. And um, I remember even like working with like the program director for the DO program there was just really high and thought a lot of me. So I just keeping at it and trying to stack as much as I can to try to get back into it and and uh, keep pursuing that passion. I do feel like as time goes on, the issue is that the number of medical school students keeps increasing, but the number of residency spots does not. And I feel like every single year we're hearing more and more students not matching 
they're either having to go through the soap process and scramble to find a spot or they just don't match entirely and then have to reapply the next year. It's like there's this bottleneck that's happening at the end of medical school. My personal opinion is I wouldn't see it as a failure for, for not matching and that everybody's journey is different and that you never know what's going to happen. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all going to reach the destination that we want and that sometimes it just takes a little bit more time. Yeah, and, that, and absolutely. And that's, I think, the biggest thing I've taken away from my journey. I've had uh, some amazing opportunities. One of the reasons I wanted to do a deferment is because I didn't want to have to reapply and potentially go out to the fleet. But, you know, doing my flight surgery tour was an amazing opportunity. And I'm lucky enough to be where I'm at now, living in a, a great spot. I found my now or, you know, wife in uh, Chicago when I did my internship out there. I grew and mature as an individual. And I feel like I'm better off for kind of going through that journey. Although ideally, you know, obviously like to do it straight through the first time, but it does work out in the end. And I would say that I was definitely probably a little immature and kind of a little naive when I first did my audition rotation here in San Diego, because uh, everyone's just kind of saying, no, like, hey, go out to town. Like, it's, it's better. We get you. The training is great. The training is great. And I just remember like being there that month. And I was just like, I was kind of really questioning that. And Maybe if I was a little bit more, I don't know, mature, yeah, I would have kind of understood that and seen that a little bit better. And uh, who knows, maybe things would have been different. How did your civilian transitional year compare to your EM internship here in the military? They were pretty different. The hospital system I was in for my civilian intern year had really high acuity. There was a couple LTAC facilities that were very specialized in taking care of some very chronically ill and severely ill patients. That was the feeder system into our hospital. So a lot of the medicine services I had to rotate through and a lot of the ICU services I had to rotate through had a lot higher acuity and a higher volume. One of the benefits about being in the military system is every patient has really good follow-up. There's not a lot of issues with having medications. The social situation for a lot of our active duty personnel and their dependents is obviously fabulous. And so going to a civilian place that had a lack of those resources kind of created an environment that for training was great as it allowed me to see a lot of advanced pathology, high acuity, and high volumes. So there's a lot of good and bad with both systems. I would say that the civilian place I did it at was kind of prepared me probably a little bit better for the fleet than the Navy program, but they're both awesome uh, institutions, awesome medical education uh, programs. So it's a good introduction to becoming a doctor and getting you prepared to manage patients a little bit more on your own and kind of helping you firm up, making your own medical decisions a little bit better to prepare you for being a senior resident or uh, going out to the fleet. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for that insight, Dr. Fry. And what is a normal day like as an ER resident? And how does this change as you progress through your training, going into a PGY-2 and then further into a PGY-3 and becoming a senior resident? And so for us as ER residents, as you kind of progress, you tend to do more and more ER rotations. You know, the first year and a little bit in the second year, it's, it's about kind of getting that background of like, hey, this is what the medicine service does. Hey, you know, this is what... The ICU does. This is what 
orthopedic surgery and kind of get to know those specialties a little bit and getting that base, that foundation to be able to call them and kind of understand what they're looking for or what they kind of need to answer your, your console or your question. As you get further and further along, you tend to do more ER stuff. Obviously, you try to hone your skills and learn to manage a department, learn to manage a patient load. As you get more senior, you start having education responsibilities in terms of teaching medical students, teaching off-service interns, teaching younger interns and residents. That's kind of how it, usually how shift runs is basically you work, depending where you're at, eight to nine, 10, 12 hour shifts a day. Try to get in some of your reading, your academic stuff around that. Try to get a workout in and just try to catch sleep when you can. Another one of the downsides of the ER is we're open 24 seven. And so our shifts are kind of all over the place in terms of you know, we'll work, you know, you can work a couple overnights in a row, have like a half day off and now you're back working morning. So trying to catch sleep when you can, trying to maintain a little bit of a, a social life and take care of your family needs and then still staying on top, on top of academics. It's a busy thing. That's that's the thing about uh, residencies. You're always you're always busy, but it, the end product is always, is always a great one. Approximately how many hours do you work a week as an EM resident? Usually with the core shifts and conferences, usually work probably 50 like 50 to 55, but any other academic or educational requirements falls out of that. So probably 55 hours where I'm either at the hospital or doing conference. And then there's reading on top of that. If you're involved in any sort of research, if you're involved in any sort of uh, PI projects or QI projects, that all gets added up. So it probably ends up being somewhere over 60 hours every week all the uh, educational residency requirements. Do you feel like that's manageable? I do. I mean, one of the things I love about the ER, you work overnight, it doesn't, you know, like there's people work banker's hours. And so the nice part about like, you know, if you're working overnight or you work like a late shift is, you know, get that morning to kind of do normal stuff and you're not kind of confined to the same time schedule as everybody else. But I find it's, it's pretty manageable. One of the biggest things I've learned, um, kind of do my internship twice, is there's always great months, there's always great times, and there's always bad months. So you'll have some time frames where you're super slammed, you have no time yourself, you're basically just coming home, sleeping, eating, and going right back to work. And then there's other times where you can relax a little bit, you can catch up on some things, connect with different people, and it all balances out in the end. And that's one of the biggest things I always kind of try to advocate to everybody is it may seem like it's rough now, but it will you'll you'll get paid back and it all bounces out. Is there anything that you wish you knew before beginning intern year? Actually, yeah. So uh, again, the balance out thing, like there are some months that people will go through that you just seem like you never leave the hospital. You're there, you never seen the sun. And I remember kind of experiencing this going through my intern year where some of those winter months it's dark. You come in, it's dark, you leave, it's dark, you go home and sleep and you just come right back. But the thing I don't realize in those times is that you'll have a rotation where the hours or the hour requirements a lot less, the schedule's a little bit more fair and you can kind of catch up. And so it all equals out in the end. So if it seems tough, just remember it gets better. Life always gets better, even though it doesn't seem like it does. And I just kind of wish that I kind of had a better appreciation of that during my intern year. 
as a fourth year who just finished audition rotations, do you feel like audition rotations are an accurate representation of intern year or are they still a little bit different as intern year a little bit more because it's more responsibility? You're actually a physician instead of a student. I think you get a little bit more responsibility. Again, you're moving up the totem pole. So there's more asked of you and there's more responsibilities that you do get. That said, usually as a intern, you still have people watching over you kind of like a hawk. But I do think kind of through the growing process, you are becoming more of a clinician. You can make a little bit more of your own decisions. Obviously, you are expected to do a lot more documentation than you probably were on your sub-I. You're able to put in some orders. I know most medical students are not. You are expected to carry a heavier load. And so I do think that the sub-I's are somewhat representative of the lifestyle that you'll eventually kind of have as you go through your residency. But I think it's just, it's more of a sneak peek. And the thing I always think about too is every month is kind of different. And so any ER rotation, you kind of get an understanding and a peek behind the curtain of what's happening in the department. And that will probably serve you well as an intern, but then, you know, you're going to go to off to different rotations and you're going to go to different services and this is going to be completely different than what you expect. And it's such a growing experience. The learning curve is incredibly steep. I'm sure you've heard that before. You'll probably look back on yourself even a year from now and think that it's amazing how like far you've grown and you just don't realize it in the moment. But I think the experience, the environment is probably similar, but you're just expected to do a lot more with it. And then on top of that, you're also going to have a lot more of the educational requirements that we don't really ask a whole lot of from our sub-I's in terms of reading, presenting, uh, research, taking tests, studying, and all such stuff. So. Okay, got it. Thank you, Dr. Fry. We had touched on before that you have done a flight surgery tour. Um, where were you stationed and what different positions have you held in your military career? Can you talk a little bit about that? So I was stationed at MCAS uh, Miramar, which is Marine Corps Air Station Miramar. I was with HMH-361, which is a, a Marine Heavy Helicopter Squadron, which is the, the, they fly the CH-53 platform, which is the ginormous helicopters. Uh, they were uh, obviously a Marine unit, and uh, I was their sole flight doc. So I was with them for a couple of years and did a what's called a unit deployment program where I went to Okinawa for six months as part of the rotation and uh, was out in Futima out there for that time and then came back and finished up my time. Did you want to become a flight surgeon? Yeah, I did. I knew that if I had to do a GMO tour that I wanted to do flight, I heard it was awesome. Everybody I talked to um, that had done one previously loved it. Well, they always said it was the favorite time of their military career and just all the exposure I got to it, it just sounded like it was for me. I am so glad I did. It was an amazing experience. Um, I got to do just so many amazing things that even, you know, my other colleagues have never got to do. And the situation that you're in where you're with the squadron and also still having your clinical duties is an amazing setup. And it's just a fantastic, fantastic opportunity if you, if you can do it and pursue that. Looking back, what were some of the most exciting things that you did as a flight doc? Yeah, so I mean, I remember, um, obviously, when I was deployed, we would 
I remember we were going to like going to Korea and flying around there and just hanging out in the back of the helicopter, you know, flying in just different countries, doing different things was an amazing opportunity. I, it stunk at the time, but I did uh, ITSC, which is basically like a large military exercise in 29 Palms. And we're out in the desert for six weeks and it was pretty miserable, but just the experiences kind of going and do some really cool stuff with the squadron. And uh, just the memories and getting to bond with those people. I had the opportunity to become designated air crew for the helicopter. And so just getting out and seeing what the, the fleet does and what all the hardworking Marines I worked with did on a daily basis to produce uh, was just an awesome experience and uh, one traded for anything. What were your responsibilities on the medical side? Were you basically like the primary care physician for flight group that you were assigned to? The way every flight surgeon billet is set up is you're supposed to have 50% of the time with the squadron and 50% of the time in the clinic. So when we were in Garrison or back at Miramar, I would spend half my time at the clinic, participating in the Marine Center Medical Home, which is basically the way the clinics run in terms of just seeing everybody on base. And then the other half of the time, I'd spend in the squadron doing a lot of admin stuff or doing some flying. The nice part about being with the Marines that's different than being with a, a blue side unit as the Marines, you are the flight surgeon for the Marines. You are that squadron's primary care provider. Blue side, you tend to be assigned to three different squadrons at the same time. So you're kind of torn between a lot of different places. And so being with the Marines, I was their primary care doc. So I was in charge of administering all sorts of shot X's, again, doing admin stuff, and then being their primary care doc. And so with that too was whenever they would go out for an exercise or God's, to do some sort of attachment, I would go with them again to provide medical care, really be overseer of, of kind of medical care and uh, be responsible for that aspect of the squadron. And then obviously the last part too, in terms of clinical duties was being an, an advisor to the CEO of the squadron. We are knowledge experts in medicine. And so bringing that clinical acumen, that clinical knowledge base to help determine and help with personal decisions is the other part of the job as a flight surgeon. That's awesome. Was it challenging to put your residency on hold in order to go be a flight surgeon? Like we talked about, it wasn't super choice to kind of have it that way, but things in a weird way kind of got better. You get more weekends back, you get more time back. You get to do amazing opportunities. It, in terms of the clinical aspect of it, it's a little bit easier. You're dealing with a lot more healthy men and women. Your job is definitely different than it is residency, where again, as a flight surgeon, you are supporting the unit. When you're in GME, graduate medical education, you don't realize it, but there's so many people that are supporting you. You're the supported person in the whole process where there's people that are ensuring that your education is getting done. There's people that are ensuring that you're getting all the training that you need. And it's completely flipped whenever you go out into the fleet. That was a, a different thing that I wasn't used to. And it was a little bit more difficult in terms of causing residency. It was a, a little bit of a shock the first uh, couple months I was out there. But that said, the harder part was actually probably coming back to residency because you know it's, you're used to kind of being out there on your own, making your own decisions and coming back. Now you have to reestablish those relationships with your attendings to gain that trust back so they can let you be a little bit more independent. 
know, you come back from the fleet and everything is kind of more micromanaged and you're having to explain a lot more of your decisions to, to people. And that's, that's definitely a challenge and a shift that happens, but it's an adjustment that everybody makes as they come back. And it's, I think, one that most people are successful in making. Do you feel like going out into the fleet and doing a flight surgery tour was more of like a leadership opportunity that then allowed you to make that transition into being a senior resident flow more easily for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously I'm biased. Even in myself, like I sense there's just more maturity. There's a little bit more ability to understand people and reach out to other people and to be a leader. I think you're more comfortable being somebody that can go out and advocate for for others and to bring things up. And I think it definitely makes you a better leader. You're, you know, as a flight surgeon, my experience was I had multiple equipment I was managing, obviously had responsibilities at the clinic, trying to make the clinic function better, trying to improve things, trying to make things better for other people. And I think that kind of perspective of trying to make it better for everybody goes a long way. And I think that's something that unfortunately, as somebody who kind of goes through medical school and as their internship and then maybe as a senior resident, don't have maybe that peak behind the curtain of, of trying to make things better and trying to be kind of a lead in that aspect. And that's, I'm not trying to put it down. I think it's totally possible. I've met some great people I've gone straight through that are absolutely fantastic leaders and do a great job of helping other people out and trying to make everything better. It's just one of those things I think it's just a different life experience that I think you kind of get being in the fleet that makes things a little bit better in terms of like being a leader as you come back. Okay, perfect. And that wraps up our episode with Dr. Fry today. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with a future military physician. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samopseducationchair at gmail.com. And thank you for tuning in.